Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Kat McCain. Today's guest is Mr. Jerry Dorsey, the Human Capital Chief of Headquarters. And thank you for joining us today. Yep, thank you for having me and the opportunity to join us today. And for today's episode, we are talking about the newly released USAFE Workplace Transformation Strategy. But before we get started, we want to know more about our guests. So, Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background, how you got involved with the development of the Workplace Transformation Strategy. Hi. Again, I'm Jerry Dorsey. I lead our USACE Human Capital and Data Integration Division. And so some of the things that we oversee is employee engagement, data reports and analytics, and a variety of special projects. And that's one of the things I love most about my job is that no uh, no two days are the same. And so this was an assignment that we were given for the workplace transformation uh, this kind of rapidly, we weren't necessarily thinking that this was going to be a huge initiative out there, but as COVID-19 started and that rolled out, it obviously became a very, very important initiative, and so we were really, really lucky to uh, to lead this. And so I'm a part of the headquarters, uh, Directorate of Human Resources. I've been with uh, the Corps of Engineers for seven years now. Some days it doesn't seem like that long. Other days it seems longer than that in a few different roles. And so, again, I'm really excited to uh, to join us today and talk about this exciting initiative. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time. I do want to take a quick look at what happened the last uh, almost two years now and talk about the pandemic just a little bit. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, the, the USAID workforce rapidly adapted to the constantly evolving mission. This unforeseen shift to virtual workplace forced us to update our technology and find new ways of engaging and communicating with our staff and external partners. And so I think you say did a great job with that, but I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about where the agency goes from here. Sure. And so for workplace transformation, I really think that we're just getting started on this. And and just to, to start with some background, our, our goal here, and I'll hit on this a couple of times, is we want to increase flexibility and really build that culture of flexibility while also never compromising on, on program delivery. And so that's really our nexus for all of our decisions. And so when we look back over the six, last 16, 17 months, it's hard, hard to believe it's, it's been that long. You know, I, I think about this and it's really, for me, has reinforced the value that the Corps of Engineers provides to the nation, especially in, in times of crisis. We're often called upon in times of crisis, and I would argue that's when we deliver the program the best. And, you know, thinking back to March 2020, you know, with little notice, our employees really shifted seamlessly to almost a full telework posture. Um, and I would argue maintained or even, in a lot of cases, increased their productivity in the process. And so, uh, thinking about that, the resilience of our workforce is truly remarkable, and they should be commended for that. So when looking at our recently released uh, USACE Workplace Transformation Strategy and our post-COVID-19 transition guidance that we put out, this is really going to empower leaders across the enterprise to optimally deliver the program through enhanced flexibility. And if folks haven't had a chance to see these documents, these documents are posted prominently in our HR knowledge management portal, and that's easily accessible through our USACE intranet. We want to share these documents far and wide uh, so folks can access those. And so um, our goal in developing the strategy and the guidance, we wanted to provide a broad framework for commanders out there in the field to, to implement this optimally at the local level. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, the conditions are different in different localities, and the mission is also different. And so our goal was to put out a visionary document that says uh, what the goals of the command are and then allow commanders at the local level to implement 
flexibly. In looking at this, when we talk about flexibility and the culture of flexibility, flexibility can take different forms. And, and whether that's telework or remote work, it's based on the organizational mission needs. It's based on position requirements and also looking at employee circumstances as well. And so when we think about this for the organization and for the employee, flexibility with accountability I think is critical for success. And so getting back to your, to your initial question on where we go from here, I think from here, uh, we initiate or we continue the important work of, of transforming the USACE workplace and, and realize that the 2019 workplace is not coming back. And so this really includes organizations looking uh, and doing a really thorough review of their positions to explore additional uh, flexibilities. The starting point for this review is the requirements of the, the individual position. And so after looking at those position-specific requirements, then employee circumstances can be considered. Now, and ultimately, when we think about this, commanders out there in the field, they retain that flexibility to shape telework because they have a mission that they have to meet out there. And so as we're looking at this, communication at all levels is vital uh, as we go through this process to drive program delivery. And so some of these decisions that are made uh, when we're looking at flexibilities and positions, those will influence other considerations and components of the USACE workplace transformation strategy that we'll discuss later. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. And that is interesting, like like cultural flexibility and accountability. That's what, that is going to be the future for the core. And getting back into this workplace transformation strategy that just has been just recently released. Some of our listeners may have not have seen that. And I know the strategy addresses four key components. So can you tell us a little bit more about these four components? Sure. The four key components that we base the strategy around, one is people. One is financial management and kind of the money side of this, information technology, and then equipment and space. So those are kind of the big four pillars of the strategy. And starting with the people one, I think this is the most important pillar of the strategy here. And we've actually broken this out into three sub-areas. And so the first one of those is talent acquisition and onboarding. In the strategy, we provide general guidance on telework and remote work standard job language, job announcement language when we're announcing positions out there that may have those flexibilities. And then we also talk about onboarding as well as the onboarding process has certainly changed under COVID-19. The next sub-focus area under people, we look at life-work balance and then also morale and culture. Um, and so some of the things that we look at in the strategy, we look at remote work and telework criteria, things like geography, recall time, distance requirements. Uh, thinking about time zone impact, some of those things you may not necessarily think of uh, when you think of telework and remote work. We look at policies to, to support the blended virtual and traditional work environment, and then also look at potential expansion of flexible hours. And then our final sub-focus area for the, uh, for the people pillar is virtual success. We look at telework and remote work POCs in the organization. Uh, looking at factoring in partner expectations when exploring flexibilities um, and transitioning uh, to some short on-demand training that we've got out there. And then also look at some performance elements and, and how we evaluate performance and basing that on outcomes and results or quality. Transitioning to the financial management pillar, some of the things that we look at under this, we look at scrubbing manning documents that we discussed a little earlier based on a review of position descriptions to see which positions might be eligible for telework and remote work, exploration of a modified workplace footprint, and then also cost impacts of added flexibility, whether that be travel, PCS. And those could be increases in costs or also decreases in costs. And so those are some of the things that we discuss on the financial management side. On the information technology pillar, we look at defining digital workforce needs, challenges, and gaps with a focus and a bottom line focus on maximizing productivity. Uh, we'll also 
balancing cybersecurity. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that delicate balance that's there between productivity and cybersecurity. And then finally, on equipment and space, uh, we look at defining the workspace minimum for individual employees and then also for groups in the traditional workplace and then also in the virtual workplace, factoring in employee desires and then also looking at uh, physical space and energy usage reductions for changing the workplace and hybrid designs like hoteling and office sharing and things like that. So that's a pretty, that's a kind of a 30,000 foot view of the four pillars of our workplace transformation strategy. Yeah, I, I am excited about all four components of that. I think all of them are needed to make sure that we're successful in the future. I do have a, a follow-up question on that. So of these four components, are they being addressed at the same time or are there phases? How are these going to be rolled out? So I would say for that, I think they're all interconnected. And I think it goes back to, to doing that review of positions to look at what flexibility is there. As we look on the people, Side and, and the positions that's going to that's going to influence how we onboard people, um, how we do the life work balance and morale culture is looking at the individual position requirements and that's going to impact things on the financial management side, you know what kind of travel or PCS impacts, what kind of office footprint we may have, and then we bring in the the IT section as well to see based on what our future workforce our workplace is going to look like that will help drive some of what our IT needs are. And then on the equipment space, and we kind of mentioned this a little bit under the financial management side too, I think that those review of, of positions there are going to define, hey, what the workplace is going to look like, looking at things like leases and then also in that traditional and virtual workplace, what those specifics may look like based on the review of positions. I am sure as the team developed the strategy, um, you were doing a lot of research and reaching out to people across the agency as far as what's working well and what needs improvement. Yeah, sure. And so so we did really extensive research on federal and private sector best practices during COVID-19. And so on the federal side, I'll highlight a few agencies that we were able to see really had some best practices as they transitioned through COVID-19. So the first is the Patent and Trademark Office. And so they've got a pretty robust telework and remote work program prior to COVID-19. But what they did during the pandemic, they actually expanded their flexible hours for employees there and also increased training for supervisors on how to drive employee engagement in the virtual environment. So they have a pretty big virtual workforce, but almost all of their workforce went virtual during the pandemic, as, as did many other agencies. And so those were some of the things that they focused on. Second agency I'd like to highlight is the Government Accountability Office, actually our neighbor in the in the headquarters building, um, and they've been recognized as the best place to work several times in, in past years. And so what they did, they really focused on opening new lines of communication between staff and, and management during the pandemic. Understandably, kind of with this unprecedented shift to, to almost max telework, a lot, of, a lot of employees had a lot of questions and concerns. And so their senior leaders addressed these questions during uh, monthly town halls, and they, they tried to stay in constant communication. They allowed additional flexibility and uh, leave for, for uh, caregiving responsibilities. And so that was really, really important. And then interestingly, they also, some of their employee groups, you know, their communities of practice that focused on skill development and sharing best practices, and then their diversity, equity, inclusion councils and programming, they also kept that going in a virtual environment. So it wasn't like their in-person stuff just, just stopped. They kept that going. And so that was really, really important and something that they highlighted as the best practice. And then the last agency I'll highlight is Department of Transportation. Their focus was really on regular emails and video sessions on telework guidance and what the department was doing specifically to keep their employees safe and specific information on, on COVID-19 related health and, and safety issues for the, for the workforce. An additional thing they did, 
they highlighted and thanked frontline employees who, uh, in their case, were keeping transportation systems open and safe. Um, they highlighted their air traffic controllers and safety inspectors. So we kind of see some themes running throughout this on, on communication, additional flexibility, and, and recognition. And so a couple of things I want to highlight on the USA side, some best practices that are out there. During this time, we started our Hero of the Week initiative. Uh, this was something that was started early in the pandemic, no-cost uh, recognition thing where we highlight one employee each week that's briefed at our USACE operations update that has really gone above and beyond rank-and-file employees, and we've had employees from all uh, across the organization at all different levels, and it's been really great. I think it's it's very meaningful. They get a uh, a personalized email from the HR director and the, and the USACE leadership uh, congratulating them for that, and I think it has really means a lot in the individual and, and the organizational perspective. It's also been, been eye-opening for me, you know, seeing there's really some awesome work that's going on out there. You know, sometimes at headquarters we don't see all the great work that, that is going on out there and the, and the depth and breadth of the mission. Uh, so that's been really, really great to see. We've also done our YouTube town hall meetings. We recently had one uh, last week with General Spellman. And so I think employees have really uh, appreciated the opportunity for that to submit live questions that they can ask for their leaders and they're being read live. Also had the opportunity to do that beforehand. And then if they can't catch the, the town hall, it's posted prominently online so they can see it afterwards. I mentioned our HR knowledge management portal uh, recently as well. So this is a one-stop shop for everything HR, including anything related to, to COVID-19, latest updates that we've got going on out there. And so that's a, that's a great resource that we've stood up for employees and managers and supervisors as well. So those are a few things that, that we're doing at, at USACE as well to highlight some best practices. So you mentioned the, the KM Hub uh, where they can find any HR-related items these best practices that the team had found, is there a place where we're like kind of housing some of the lessons learned, best practices as we move forward throughout this workplace transformation? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So we actually, we recently just stood up a workplace transformation page on our HR knowledge management portal. And again, that's that's uh, accessible from the USACE intranet site. If anybody's got questions on that, they can they can reach out to me personally if they're not able to, to find that because uh, we want that to be accessible to all. So we recently did start up a new uh, a new page for workplace transformation. We've got our guidance that was recently submitted out there, and we've also got all of our COVID-19 guidance going back for the last year and a half. And we uh, we do anticipate adding additional best practices to that as we go through the process. That's great. I know a lot of times, like we we do good stuff, and then we forget what we did, and we always. So having that managed and housed someplace for everyone to access, is, I think, is going to be really great moving forward. And, like, I know one thing that we've heard about is obviously the strategy talks about, like you mentioned earlier, too, that hoteling or cube sharing or even the cube farms. We believe that headquarters is piloting the, the hoteling strategy. Can you tell us about this hoteling and the benefits it provides to the organization? Sure. And so we actually define hoteling in the strategy as an office management strategy that considers certain office resources, such as workplaces and equipment, to be shared assets rather than owned by specific individuals. So that's how we, how we define hoteling. And so this is being piloted as part of the headquarters workplace transformation effort. And I'm really excited because our HR team is actually one of the initial groups that's going to be included in this pilot for our workspace. Some of the things that are being considered, uh, we're looking at dedicated hoteling desks with a complete IT setup. Someone can just come, drop their computer, have a complete docking station there. 
We're looking at expanded collaboration space that maybe previously used to be cubicles where it's a little bit bigger and folks can collaborate when they're in the office. And then I think this is really important and something we touch on in the strategy is a transition to a largely paper-free work environment. We spent a lot of time going through and getting rid of old files. We found some files that are 45 or 50 years old, which that's that's good that we're that we're doing a good job maintaining what we need to, but uh, we also want to make sure we're adhering to those regulations. And if something's older than that, unless it's something that's particularly noteworthy, we probably don't need to hold on to that. We're really trying to reduce our footprint, but also kind of retool our footprint a little bit as well to add some additional collaboration space, some hoteling space, uh, instead of storing you know old papers that we may not necessarily need. Anymore, And so some of the research that we've done, it really indicates that the workforce, you know, we're seeing this through a Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey and just general surveys for the American workforce, is they're really desiring increased choice and, and generally a combination of telework and the traditional workplace presence. Most people, you know, when you look at these surveys, aren't saying, hey, I want to remote work 100% of the time or I want to be in the office 100% of the time. And so hoteling allows for a more agile office footprint. And that's really what we're going for uh, is agility here because that can help us recruit and retain talent. And so this is going to provide our employees that flexibility and the choice to accommodate a new workplace and then also increased retention as well. So we're really excited about this. We're just getting started on the on the headquarters workplace transformation, looking at hoteling. And so we'll have, we'll have more to, to follow on that, but I'm really excited about where we're going there. That does sound really exciting, and I look forward to seeing um... – the results of that pilot program. Um, obviously, during the pandemic, the core just didn't stop. We continue to recruit and, you know, hire staff. And I know the onboarding, personally, I know this, the onboarding of these new employees was different than normal because, obviously, we weren't in the office. And I'm, I'm interested to know, like, I know we came up with creative ways to onboard new staff, and some of our staff are finally the first time ever actually coming into the office almost two years after being hired. But what will you see moving forward? Do you think our onboarding process will be different um, and trying to incorporate those best practices that we did during the pandemic? Or how do you see um, the future of onboarding process for new staff coming on board um, and applying those lessons learned during the pandemic? Yeah, I think I, I think that's a great question. And so onboarding, this is a key leadership focus right now. It's been explored in depth at several recent MSC command strategic reviews and is a major point of focus for the organization right now. And so I'm, I'm thinking back to March 2020, and this was actually when my when my boss started and trying to assist in that onboarding. You want your boss to have a smooth onboarding. You're starting getting the computer and everything and trying to do that during the height of height of COVID. And you don't know what's going on. So this is definitely personal for me, you know, and, and looking at this, COVID really forced us to alter the onboarding process and we had to adapt to a new environment. I don't think it's a, it was an experiment that we would have chosen, but there are some good things that have, that have come out of that. And so we've discovered some new flexibilities to help us provide some added agility and also some areas that might need some additional emphasis. And so I think one of the good things coming out of this is we now have a clear process allowing employees to really get onto the system very quickly. We have a lot of people that are getting on to the system getting their CAC cards in a day or two. That's much, much faster than it traditionally was in the past because you have to think about these things a little bit more than you did in the past. We definitely have discovered some new flexibilities, like I said, some also some areas that need additional emphasis. Going back to our strategy, so our strategy specifically addresses onboarding, and it also highlights some key guidance. And so some of the things that we look at, we want all employees to be assigned a sponsor, and we think this is really, really important. And even where, where possible, if you've got remote workers, maybe thinking about assigning them a remote sponsor to allow them to have somebody to lean on as they transition to uh, to a remote position. 
Um, we also recommend the use of an onboarding hub for resources. The NAD New York District has a great best practice that is out there. They have perfected an onboarding hub. They have automated the process. It is out there on their RKM portal, and it's actually um, out there for local folks to replicate in accordance with ACID if they want to use it at their local activity. And then we also highlight the importance, especially for recent grads and apprentices, to participate in on-site onboarding where possible. And we also recommend for new employees holding a new employee orientation monthly or quarterly. So those are some of the things that we look at in the strategy. And then kind of looking more big picture at this, we think it's really important that we track and assess our onboarding efforts. And, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job on that, but I don't know that we really have as firm of metrics as we want there. And so we're actually developing a survey right now and uh, finalizing onboard onboarding policy to make sure that we're evaluating that onboarding experience and identifying any areas that need improvement because it makes such a big difference. You know, those first impressions are so, so key and can really impact uh, retention of employees. As you were mentioning, the new college recruits and interns and that, I can think back to my first day that I started at the Corps of Engineers many years ago. And I sat in the cubicle and they handed me some binders and said, read this because it's going to take a while for your computer to get up and going. So I am happy to hear that we are um, trying to make that process as smooth as possible and get them up and running as fast as we can. I do want to shift gears and talk a little bit about information technology. I see it as really the centerpiece of the workplace transformation, especially the virtual component of it. We can't really do anything without the best technology that we can get. And I feel like we've accomplished a lot over the past year from where we started at the beginning of the pandemic to where we're at today. It's night and day. I, we can definitely work a lot faster in a virtual environment. However, I do know that we probably can see some more improvements coming in the future. So can you talk a little bit about what the future of IT would hold in this Sure. So, yeah, I think IT is going to be absolutely crucial in the success of this effort. You know, I I think back to the, the spring of, of 2020, you know, right when we, you know, kind of transitioned to almost a full telework posture. I remember, you know, trying to bounce back and forth between Eastern VPN and Western VPN, like praying you can get onto the system here. And I was like, oh, no, you know, is this going to be like what, what, what things are going to be like for the next couple of months? But I think we really saw the impact of the just tremendous work that our IT team did in, in rapidly expanding that VPN access because I can guarantee you every other company and agency was looking to do this as well and how quickly they were able to do that and get us up, I think, from 6,000 users to, to 20, 30, 40,000 is absolutely remarkable. And you want to talk about making a major impact on program delivery, that is it right there. And so I know our IT team is doing great stuff, and I know – you know, look, looking at our, our recent town hall, our 14 July town hall, Mr. Peoples, our, our CIO, he just he talked about collaboration tools that we've got out there, and specifically UCE teams, and he did provide an update on the way ahead there. So his team is really focused on making sure that we're optimizing our available collaboration tools and increasing comfort and, and competency in using those tools, because there are a lot of different ones that are out there. You know, you've got WebEx and Teams, and we had Skype, and there's USACE teams and Army teams and all sorts of stuff. And so they put out something they actually had the CIO Teams Corner, which I've looked at a few times, and that is really, really helpful in getting greater comfort in, in using that and also promoting that seamless integration of the traditional blended and the virtual workplace. And, and ultimately, our, our goal with all of this is, is strengthening program delivery. And then one final thing I, I do want to highlight here, I think balancing ease of use with a lot of these collaboration tools and cybersecurity is really a point of emphasis because 
we have to balance protecting the command. I, mean, I think we've all seen the news recently about all these different agencies getting hacked. We obviously don't want that to happen to the Corps of Engineers, but at the same time, we don't want all of our all of our tools to be, you know, really, really difficult to use. So it's a really tough balance, and I know our IT team is, is constantly looking at this every day so they can make the user experience better and then also harden our cybersecurity posture. So. And I think that's really important. I think the IT world will be the future for the core. And kind of going back a little bit, we talked about onboarding new staff. I guess you have more tools in the toolbox in terms of recruiting. I think the pandemic opened our eyes of how we can recruit um, more differently than we have in the past. But I'm also curious of how are we transforming not only how we recruit staff, but how do we retain our existing staff? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, and I think beyond workplace transformation, at, as a core, we are we're looking at transforming the way we recruit and retain top talent because it is an increasingly competitive talent market out there. It already was before, and we anticipate that getting even more competitive as some of the COVID impacts start to ease. A couple things I want to highlight on the recruitment side, some initiatives that Ms. Payne mentioned, who's our HR director at our recent town hall that I'm really excited about. One of those is our Talent Acquisition Center of Excellence. We call it TACE. And so this is, a, this is going to be a small cell of full-time recruiters to support our enterprise talent priorities. In coordination with the headquarters communities of practice and the MSCs, they're going to supplement local efforts and lead our national talent acquisition efforts. That is not an infrastructure that has been in place since I have been here. We're really excited about this to see, hey, what are the national priorities for the Corps of Engineers, our most important skill sets that we need, determining those, and then supplementing some of those local efforts in the field to be able to onboard that talent. We anticipate our taste cell utilizing our USACE talent acquisition and recruitment platform. And so we call this TARP. This is an IT solution, and so it's going to utilize yellow software that we recently acquired. And the goal is we want to help source top talent. The three primary goals with this system, one of them is we want to maximize our direct hire authority utilization through additional announcement capability, and they also want to build an external talent repository. Gaining additional direct hire authority flexibility, that has been a big, big focus for the command in the last four or five years. Um, it shortens the hiring process. It allows us to rapidly access top talent that we need out there to compete. But we've reached a point, we have a lot of these authorities, but now we really need to build up that available talent pool where we can quickly source that. It's great to be able to hire really quickly, but now we need a really good pool of candidates that we can rapidly access to be able to do that. So that's that's one one of the three goals that we're looking on the, on the TARP system. Uh, the next one is we want to transform our career fair experience. We talked about this a little bit earlier. We want no more paper resumes. We want people to be able to go in and drop their resume virtually or in person to have the technology there where they can do that. And that way we're not trying to get paper resumes and scan stuff in. It doesn't really work anymore. And then our final goal on the internal side of this, we think this is really important. We want to build an internal talent repository for our current employees so we could do a better job of talent management within the Corps of Engineers. And part of this, we want people to be able to volunteer for uh, potential reassignments, indicate some preferences they may have for job series or for grades. Uh, specific competencies that they're interested in because, you know, that's kind of word of mouth and anecdotally now, if you want to move within the Corps of Engineers, we don't really have an organized way of doing that. And I think we've got some untapped potential there. I think that would really help employees and then also help the organization as well. 
And then kind of a side benefit of this is we really want to get a, a better idea on what the competency level of the workforce is. We know we have a lot of subject matter experts out there, but I don't think we have a system to say, hey, who are our top structural engineers? Who are our top geologists out there? You know, when a particular disaster may arise or an overseas tour or a contingency deployment, like I said, that, that's kind of anecdotal and it goes through word of mouth. We don't have an easy way to pull that information. So uh, we're going to be building out this system to be able to do that, to support those permanent and temporary mission requirements. All of this is in support of our director, Ms. Payne's, our one-day hiring goal. We know that is really, really lofty, but that is what we are aspiring to from this on the internal side and then also on the external side, too, is to get people and top talent in here quickly before they can get other offers or things like that and show them how great the Corps of Engineers is. All of that is very exciting, especially the opportunities for the current employees. Um, within the core, I, I think that that is really something that the agency has needed for a long time, and I think a lot of employees are going to be excited about that. And I just want to stay on the current employees for a while. I just wanted to know if there's anything that you've heard in meetings with the chief or with Ms. Payne that you want to communicate to the workforce about this particular workforce transformation, and if they have questions, where can they go? And information that they need to hear from headquarters? That is a great question. I think where kind of I would start there, I think first is thank you. Thank you for being super flexible over the last 15 or 16 months. I know for, for me personally, you know, trying to balance childcare and, and working and, and family requirements and seeing what this organization has accomplished, truly remarkable, but also seeing that, that people have, have been through a lot. And so as we kind of, as we transition through this to this new workplace transformation, we've got to really focus on the communication side of this. I, I would hearken back to those things that I started with that we really want to increase that culture of flexibility. may not necessarily be telework or, or remote work. It could be in some cases, but it's all about the requirements of the position. And if we really stay with that nexus on how can we increase our flexibility and tie this to program delivery, that would be my main message there. If employees have specific questions, obviously you want to start with your with your supervisor there. That's the best source of information there for your particular position. We've provided a broad framework with this plan here. It is not going to be a one-size-fits-all plan. We're not going to sit up here in headquarters and say, hey, you need to have 50% of your people teleworking or you need to do this because each individual organization, each individual team is different. That doesn't, it's not an easy answer. And so we may have some difficult conversations ahead of us, but that's okay. I mean, that's how we truly transform our, our workforce. And so I think we all have to come to the table realizing it's been a hard 15 or 16 months. If we all keep our collective goal on how can we better deliver the program, I think that's going to be really, really important for, for guiding us forward. Thank you, Jerry, for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. Thank you.